Hello. If you're a visitor here, you're very, very welcome. Um, it's good to see some familiar faces, some new faces. It's good. Um, it's good to be back. I've been away for the last couple of weeks in uh, California, um, slumming it for Jesus, you know. Uh, I, I, the weather was terrible the whole time I was there. Uh, the people were awful. No, I, I kid you not. Um, just uh, greetings from some of our friends over in, in Bethel Church. Um, I, I arrived in on a week when Randy Clark was there. I don't know if you know Randy. Randy's one of the... Um, He's one of the, he runs a healing ministry around the world, saw thousands of, of healings. Uh, he was there for the week we were there, and I can't tell you how many healings I saw in front of my eyes. It, um, I, yeah, it was just one of those things where I'm like, you know, we, we go after it, but we don't always see it, and yet you go somewhere where you're seeing it, and they're going after it, and I'm like, I said to him, how is this the case? And he's like, 30 years of trying produces this. I thought, you know what, if in 30 years' time we're doing that, but I'm not settling for that. I want it now. And um, we uh, uh, a really good time. I, just a couple of words for the church that um, uh, it's kind of when we're there. I, when I come back here, I'm a pleb. You know what I mean? It's like over there, you get the royal treatment. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, I know. I haven't taught you right. You haven't got this right. But um, one of the things that uh, I was invited to the staff meeting on the Wednesday, first Wednesday was there. And you're in a room full of apostolic mothers and fathers that are just like people that you listen to online and, and gain from. And uh, uh, one of the words that we received for a church was that we were known as a church for inner healing, and uh, we were known as a church for inner revival, and uh, they said that we would, we would be moving from a church that was about inner healing to external healing, and a church that would move from inner revival to external revival, and uh, it really resonated with me that I thought, you know what, we really want to be a church that goes after revival in the hearts of people, um, and, um, I, I, and I'm, I tell you, I'm super excited about our future. I, I can't even tell you how excited I am about the things that we're scheming and where we're at. You know, we had a long chat with staff this week and, and our, our senior executive team, and, and, and it's just one of those things where I'm like, hey, yes, it's going to be busy, but you know what? This is, this is what we're here to do. We're here to build the kingdom of God. We're here to see a, a harvest for Jesus. We're see, here to see people not just healed, restored, and delivered, but new people come to the Lord, and that's what we're going after. And we want to set some things up in order to equip the saints for acts of service, and I, I can't even tell you how excited and thrilled I am about uh, the partnerships that we're working on and what we've got to do for that, so uh, I'm really excited. But um, uh, I'm getting into a, a new series um, that's actually going to be, we're going to do this for the next couple of months. And I suppose in some, some senses that some of this you'll have heard before, uh, some of this will be new to you, but it's kind of, it's been a, a, what I'm going to call a, a holy burden that's been rumbling in me for about seven months now. And um, uh, we're, 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 the series called Eden, the original design. Uh, and I want to talk a little bit about, about some of the things that church never talks about. Some of the things that, that, that we get into bother if we talk about some of the, the moral and ethical issues that, that, that in a world right now, that's all they're talking about. And the church have been called dinosaurs and geriatrics and all sorts of things because we've never really had a language to understand or, 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 or to hold a, a valid debate with somebody that actually honors both people, but also gives a space and a language for, for what it's meant to be. How do we, how, how do we in a world that, that wants to dictate are uh, the agenda of what's going on. How do we take a biblical mandate, a Christian mandate, into that world and not look like we're an absolute little bunch of, of, of dinosaurs, cavemen who, 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 have, who have lived away? I, I want to say this from the start of this, that we have a message that's powerful, real, and true, and we shouldn't hide it. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, the church has got afraid uh, of the world when actually we're the answer for the world. I got a word from somebody this week that says that the church is the answer for the world. It's not government, it's not laws, it's not that. Actually, it's the church. And that's quite a, that's quite a big word to get your head around, but actually it's true. And actually, people are more hungry than they've ever been at any other time in their lives. So as we start this series, um, we're going to talk about things, I suppose, that, that really have been harder in society to move from uh, over the last 10 years. You'll notice that the world's got itself in a, an astonishing fast way. Uh, when you go to somewhere like California, you realize just, um, you know, we're 20 years behind California in many ways uh, in regards to society behavior. And you just begin to see as you, you go around that world how much the world has changed in a very short period of time. It's consistently changing. Over the next couple of weeks, um, as we head into uh, this series, I want to talk about some of the things that, 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 that maybe are, are no-nos. And the next two weeks, I, I want to pre-warn you, if you're bringing your kids to church, that will come with a PG warning, okay? 
I'm, I'm, I'm just giving you a warning and a heads up ahead. There might be some language that maybe your kids uh, would repeat out, but uh, we, will, we will talk more about that. But I want to build you a little bit of context into the material that I want to talk about um, over the next. I want to pre-warn you that we're going to talk about sex, homosexuality, pornography, gender. We may talk about abortion, life, euthanasia. Um, we, we may talk about the definition of morality um, and why Christians have perhaps got this wrong over the last lot of years. Um, uh, how we've handled the opposition in many ways in the defense of morality over the years. We might talk about addictions and how increasing depression has caused on family and the moral fabric of our, of our world. I may share that the thing that broke down that God created in the Garden of Eden, our family, that actually how destructive that the family falling apart is affecting the lives today, how broken love in a family unit has caused so much unhealthy family. One of our values here is creating healthy family. It's why we do an awful lot of what we do. But over the next few while, I want to talk about actually how do you hold a, a, a family together? How do we input in a world that's telling our kids something? Um, how, do we, how do we interact with that? Um, Danny Silk shared something with me that I thought it was interesting. There were, one of the questions was asked on a panel, how do you transition from one generation to another? That church over there is in a massive transition right now from an old generation to new. And they come along and they speak to a senior leader and they say, hey, you know what? It's like building a sports car. We want to see how many hitch, horsepower we can get in that thing. We want to hear the noise of her revving up and get her going. And they tell them how to build an engine. And a new generation comes along and says, no, we don't want that anymore. See that, that whole noise thing? We don't want, we're, we're building electric cars. And it's like, it's, like trying to teach, it's like trying to teach a new generation something entirely different. It's quite hard to do. And the transition, perhaps, from this generation to the next generation might be one of the most fundal, fundamental changes that's happened in society for the last 200 years. And it's really important that we understand our values, we understand our place in the kingdom, and we understand, as we move on to this, that actually God has set something in play to give us an incredibly joyful, happy, and abundant life. Do you believe that? So, so there's some of the things that I think when we look at the ugly, ugly truth, I don't want to talk about rules because in Journey, the truth is we don't have many of them. But the truth is this, there are some rules that actually are set in motion from the creation of time that no matter how much we try to bend, the more we bend, the more trouble we get ourselves into. That God set a practical set of systems in place in order to keep us safe, secure, and abundantly happy. And it's because it's not because God set those things in place that makes us be obedient. He set them in place so that we would actually have the fullness and joy of life. And it's one of those things whenever we come into looking at human behavior, uh, and that it's that many, many of the cases, the horse is already bolted. The horse is gone. But our Bible passages over the next wee while, um, a couple of things we're going to look at. I'm going to give you four this morning really quickly. Um, these are things that I'll work from over the next uh, two months. But uh, the first one's this, Colossians 3, 18 to 21 says this, wives submit yourselves to your husbands as it's fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh to them. Children, obey your parents in everything. Let me say that again. Children, obey your parents in everything for it pleases the Lord. Fathers, listen to this, do not embitter your children or they will become dis um, discouraged. And I want to start by giving the context of where we're going um, a couple of Bible passages, Matthew 5, 13 to 15, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are also the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people uh, put, lamp, put a, a light under a lamp bowl and hide it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see the good deeds and glorify the Father in heaven. And Timothy 2, 3 says, uh, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times, for people will be lovers only of themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. And finally, 1 Corinthians 9-11. Don't you realize that those of you who do wrong will never inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. 
those who indulge in sexual sin, who worship idols, who commit adultery, or prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or are thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or are abusive or cheating people, none of these people will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that. Some of you were once like that. But you are cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. Let me just pray. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that, that um, <laughs> Lord, you, you, you made it difficult to preach. <laughs> From your word, Lord, you, you made it hard to live by the standards that you set in Scripture, Lord. And yet, you called us to be a royal nation, a holy priesthood. And this morning, Lord, today, I release your holy nation, your royal priesthood amongst our own church, Father, that we would know you deeply, that we would receive your love, your grace, and your power in Jesus' name. How do we live in a, in a world that's secularized? Um, I, I, you might get a lot of ramblings in some of this. There are kind of things that I, I kind of find sometimes hard to put on a, on a pen and a piece of paper. I, I like to write my sermons out in detail, but I tend to preach best when I don't read what I'm, what I'm writing. Um, some of you say, well, you don't preach best anyway, but that's, that's a whole other story for another time. But I, I, I want to tell you something that God burdened with me, and he's been kind of challenging me on a few things. And I want to share before I get into some of this, so I may not get everything that I have on paper here done today, but stay with me for a moment because I want to tell you a process that I've been in that is probably going to offend some people. And if you know anything about me, you know I don't care. <laughs> um, and I mean that in a, in a good sense. I mean it offended in the heart because I want to start off by saying this, that, that it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict people of their sin. Let me say it again. It is the Holy Spirit's job to convict, convict people of sin. It's my job to introduce you to the Holy Spirit and give you an encounter with Him and help you through that. And if the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin, then it's the church's job to help you out of that sin into a place that God calls us. Are we ever out of our sin? No, we're always struggling with that. But, but there is a difference in a higher calling that when we're called to be a holy nation and we're called to the priesthood, then there is a standard or something that God set even in the New Testament, that we're called to something higher, something different when we're called to be Christians. We're not meant to be of the world. The problem is the church actually looks like the world for the most part, which is actually why the world has a problem with the church. Now, in our place, we've embraced that. But I, I want to tell you something that's been, that, that's, that royally bugs me. You might have heard a bit of joking going on around here. But um, I grew up in a generation where, where uh, pink was what girls wore and blue was what boys wore. And um, yeah, there's a generation that don't think like that anymore. They're building Teslas and I'm building horsepower cars. And uh, one of the things that, that I realized was that um, whenever I watched grown men wearing baby pink, it triggered me, all right? Now, some of you are from a generation you know what I'm talking about. Some of you aren't, but stay with me for a moment, okay? And uh, I, began to, I began to ask the Lord, Lord, what's going on with this? And, um, and, and I had this really weird unrest because I didn't necessarily think it was about me. I thought God was trying to teach me something through this. And I want you to stay with me as I go through this journey of where I think I'm going with this to help you set up where I'm going to go with this series as we go forward. And um, I said, Lord, what's this about? And then I remembered I grew up in the 80s, okay? I grew up in teenage discos, Spando Ballet, Madonna, that was it. How many of you used to go to sports unity discos? Anybody remember them? Uh, Rodney's got his hand up, remember? Some of you, yep. Eileen, that, yeah, it was like. And uh, when we were kids, Antrim Forum used to run a, a, a program every summer called Sport Unity, and you'd go down, you'd join, you'd get a load of free swims, you'd get a couple of goes in the mid Antrim at the time, and it was just really good fun. And they always had these discos. But it was in the days, you know, when you're 15 or 16 and you're cool and suave, you know? And, um, and uh, it, what was cool then was mint mint lime shirts with matching socks, yellow shirts with matching socks, pastel colors, or baby pink with matching socks. And I never wore pink in my life before, but I remember one time, you know what, I'm gonna buy a pair of pink socks and a, a pink shirt and a thin leather tie. <laughs> and I, I rocked my Spando Ballet backside down into Sport Unity Disco, you know, and the girls were falling up my feet, of course. And, uh, and uh, I remember my, my friends giving me a raking for it. And that, and that day, that, that was kind of where it was. But I came home, and my dad gave me an absolute rollicking. He's like, what the heck are you doing wearing pink? 
And uh, it was one of those things where I'm like, okay, I'm never wearing pink again. Now, that side, set that aside. Um, I began to ask some questions of God. I said, what's going on in society right now? And I felt this, this increasing heavy burden of the Lord that something is going on that we don't see. And the sermon is one of the greatest gifts that God gives us, but unfortunately, the church actually has, has lost its ability to discern correctly. And I felt that the Lord showed me something much deeper going on in society through this really strange thing about pink, but actually that there's a deeper problem. And, and I asked the Lord about it, and I began to do a little bit of research in this, and, and I felt like the Lord gave me this burden for this message that, that I hope you, you get the gist of what I'm trying to say, because this is a shoe that won't fit for everybody, because depending on how you were brought up, but if this is, this is a, a, a picture of a burden that I think the Lord's been speaking to me about a church and about a future, and the church needs to understand this. After the war, there was a generation that came out of the war where, where what was valuable all of a sudden had changed from any other time in history. You've got to understand that after the war, uh, there was a massive fear for about five years uh, through the Western world that Hitler was coming, they were going to take our freedoms, uh, and our lives would never be the same again. And also at the same time, industrial revolution was really taking place. Finances were freer. In America, that had just come out of the Great Depression. We had gone through a, a, a lot of depression here. And, and work life and history had be, really began to change incredibly uh, powerful after that. And what you had was, you had fathers prior to the war where fathers in a home were self-sustaining. Uh, the barter system was what you did. So you grew your own chickens and your eggs, and you took them to market, and you traded them in to, uh, to, 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 to whatever you wanted to purchase. And, and often there was a bartering system took place, and even right up in Ireland, up until the 50s, that was, that was in many ways. Uh, you'll still see it take place in some country places where, hey, you know, if you give me a box of that, apples will give you, uh, you know, and there's that bartering thing went away. But, but money had become the main currency, and, and money was quite hard to find pre the war, but after the war, the country took off. And something really interesting, I think, took place at that time. What happened was fathers, fathers now had a new responsibility that they never had before. Now the focus was on a good education, cars in the driveway, television, entertainment, a nice house, nice furniture, and advertisement back then was very much about making, making creature comforts the very thing that we should go after. When actually that was never the goal prior to the war. And what happened was fathers now had this new agenda, which was to, to, to go out and earn enough money to sustain all of this new, new things that were beginning to happen. Now, that, that's been the same for thousands of years, but actually, fathers now had this new responsibility to maintain something. And the pressure then came into society that the things that became the goal were education and all of those things, materialism. Now, fathers were under pressure, and fathers would have went to work nine to five, Monday to Friday, that they came home. At five past five, they were home when they switched off. And they could spend time with their family. They could spend time with the kids. They could do all of those things. But as this thing began to crank up, as the world economy began to crank up, the pressure that started to come on fathers, um, because wives stayed at home, generally speaking, wives weren't working back then. Now, that's not a sexist comment to make, that's a fact. That what happened was the way that society, families had worked was that the father was a, was a provider, women only had to work if they had to. Uh, and what happened was that was the general consensus back then. Now, some of you be sitting there going, but that's so outdated. And you are right because the modern world has changed, but that's actually what I want to talk about this morning. Because I'm not sure that it's necessarily changed in, in a way that we think might not always be healthy. And let me explain why. As the next generation came through, the pressure now was growing to maintain better cars, better homes, better education, and better systems. And the pressure now was coming on Father to make more money. So now what was happening was he was no longer coming home from 9 o'clock to 5 o'clock. He was getting up at 5.30 in the morning, driving to work, and then not getting home at 8 o'clock. And what's the last thing any father who came home from a day's work like that, with the stress that they're under, to make more money, wants to do? He wants to lie down and watch TV. All of a sudden, for the first time, kids actually lost the ability to, to, to spend time with their dads. Because the pressure that was coming on fathers back then was about making money and supplying the kids when actually what had actually happened was they were no longer showing them how to, how to pump up their tires, the bike, hang a shelf, fix plumbing. Uh, now they, they were able to pay for people to come in and do all of that. 
And what happened was there was a generation, probably in the sort of 50s and 60s, that really began uh, to, to lose their fathers. And I don't mean that they lost them. I mean, they, 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 the connectivity began to decrease. And the stress and the pressure that was starting to come on fathers to produce more goods for their family and their kids was becoming now a real pressure. You now come to a new generation in the 60s and 70s, and, and another thing interjects, all of a sudden, two new things have come into play. We have a sexual revolution, and we now have divorce wholesale been able to happen in family structure. Divorce prior to that was very frowned upon, and on a very rare occasion, um, you, you got divorced. And I've said this before from the stage, divorce is God's grace when there's no way out. That's what God does. And it's one of those things where, where, where God gave the church divorce. He hates it. He doesn't want us to go through it. We will fight long and hard to not do that anymore. But actually, um, divorce now became wholesale. And what happened was the, the family unit became less psychologically a structure because the pressures were becoming so great for families to stay together that it was much easier sometimes to take the back door and split out. And actually, what God uh, wanted us to do in the original design was to keep family and be healthy. But actually, what we were discovering now, families were no longer healthy. Not necessarily because their marriages weren't working, but because the pressure was coming so hard on family units. Now, there's a new thing that takes place. Women all of a sudden are watching their fathers under this stress. Now, their husbands are under that stress. And now, they're suddenly going, dang it, we don't have enough money to pay for all of these new things. I'm going to have to go and work. And you find in the 70s and 80s, women now start to have independent careers. They start taking part-time jobs up. In order to do that, they, they get their kids up to the age of school, and then they start to work. And women have been raised at home with their mummies. So women actually know how to be women. They've been raised by their mummies. They've done all of that. But if you were a son growing up in that system, you had a father that was out the door. And actually, if you got a couple of hours on a Saturday with your dad, you were doing really well. Now, something was going on in the fabric of society that was depleting internally. One, women knew how to be women, but men stopped knowing how to be men. And, and, and the modeling started to disappear. And I'm not saying this was the, the general case because that's not, it's not for wholesale. But there's a general now move away from that. And what you now have is you've got an independence of women climbing uh, because they know how to be strong, their leadership, there's a parity, even, even equality in today's world. You find that women have as much equality as men in regards to the system, which is fantastic. But something has happened. And I've noticed this both in church and in the world generally, that, that fathers don't know how to be fathers. Men don't know how to be men. Women actually know how to be women and know, uh, know how to do that. And which leads me back to pink. So when I see the young generation coming in wearing their baby pink hoodies and shoes, I said, God, what's going on? And I, I realized something. There is an undercurrent of hatred in the system generally for fathers, husbands. And the last thing that any son wants to happen is their mothers to hate their sons. And you never hear about daddy's boys in Ireland. We hear about mommy's boys. You only need to watch Mrs. Brown's boys, though you shouldn't, <laughs> to understand what I'm talking about. We've grown up in a matriarchal society where mums become everything and fathers are lying on the sofa, not doing very much. And that's created something both in females and males that's different. And this is where I'm going with this. There is an understructure that most people don't know is going on today. And that is that for the general consensus, females have a problem with dads, with husbands. And then they try their best that their sons won't turn out that way. And then there's a problem begins to creep into society. And I have a conversation with men regularly. And what, I, what, what I've discovered two things. Our women want a very strong masculine male who knows who he is. And we have a lot of young ladies in our church and, and around the world that are going, where are all the real men gone? You know, I feel like Tina right now. <laughs> and you only need to have a conversation with someone. They know what they want, and they, they, won't, they won't bow until they get that, which is really interesting. And I've just visited a school with 2,000 young men and women on it with everything in common. And there's a real problem in that school. The girls are going, the men here are useless. 
like there's something not right with him, John. Can you not sort it out? I'm like, I'm doing my best, I promise. But what's going on is this, is that we have for the first time ever, I believe, generally speaking, not in every case, a fatherless generation. And men don't know how to be men anymore. They, they, they don't know how to connect with their sons in a way that, that is connectivity. They, 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 they've lost the art of, of that connection. But they connect well with their mummies. They, they connect well in society with the matriarchal society. And, and, and then we, we fight for time with daddy. Now, now hear me. It's, if that's not your experience, fantastic. Can I say this? If you, brought, if you were brought up in a home where your dad was present, and I just don't mean there, I mean present. Because how many of you know you can be a present father but not there? You know what I'm saying? It's like you realize that, that fathers can be there and, and you think they're doing all the things and running about, but actually, what is it they're looking for? Why? Because our focus has become about making money and building a kingdom when it is actually should be taking care of our family. Now, that's the heart of the sermon series that I want to go into over the next couple of weeks. It, it, I, are you getting the general weight of that? All right, don't stone me, okay? All right? It's, it's, it's an understanding that I'm learning that, that women want something from men that men don't know how to give anymore. And marriages are under pressure because here's what's going on. They're married a few years, they come in, and they, the women come in and go, he's not what I thought I got. Okay? Yeah, he doesn't do the things I need him to do. And I'm an independent woman. And I'm strong, and I'm powerful, and I know how to look after him. And he's not like me, and he's not doing the things I need him to do. And men are sitting there going, what do you want me to do? I have no idea what you're talking about. And we have a systemic problem generally across the board where, where something's got broken in the general system of society that, that one of the reasons why marriages are falling apart is because of this, and one of the reasons why there's a struggle within the church for women and men to become who they really be. Can I say, this series, I want to help men become men, women become men, and marriages to thrive and survive in a way like I've never seen before. And the heart is maybe to challenge you, to take a long look at yourself and go, hey, is there, you know, the Bible says, search me and know me, O God. Search if there's any wicked way within me. And I want you to take a look, because here's the truth. Looking in the mirror is the hardest thing to do if you don't like what you're seeing. And I want to challenge you to maybe go, hey, is there something about this that makes sense to me? Uh, is there something about this that actually, as we, as we go along, and over the next couple of weeks, particularly the next two weeks, I'm going to talk about a couple of things, and then I'll move more into this, and Elaine and, and Julia will, will be helping us out with some of this stuff, though they, they may not know that just yet. Um, uh, life in a sec secularized society. The, the English Collins Dictionary describes sexualization. again. Secularization or secularization of society is the separation of religion and spiritual connection uh, of any influence to make worldly or unspiritual. And before we start into some of these deep, deep, deep topics, a couple of questions I have for you. This is really important to set this tone before we go forward. Do we form our spiritual concepts, our internal thoughts about life, sin, and what we believe about any given issue by what the world has to say about it? Or do we set our former concepts by what God says about it, by what scriptures have to say about it on any given subject? It's a question you need to ask yourself. Is my worldview, my biblical view, and how I do life formed by what God has to say about it or by what the world has to say about it? And you have a decision to make this morning. Because you don't know just how much the world affects our thought patterns, especially for a young generation who have to survive and thrive in a school when it's telling it one thing and they come into church and church is telling them another thing and we don't give them a language because they don't understand and parents don't know how to communicate with that generation about what's actually going on. And we have to decide today, where do you take your guidance from? It's a really important question before we start this because you have to decide whether without a doubt you're definitely walking with God and what you believe about his kingdom. And you have to define what you think and believe and feel that are God's ways and not man's ways. That actually what Scripture says is true and, and not. Let me give you an example. It's accepted across scientific world that the creation story, that, that God didn't create the world in seven days, that he, he didn't create animals and plant life, let alone human life, the way the Bible tells us. 
So what happens is, because the world says one thing, we begin to doubt, oh, is the scriptures actually right? Is, is what the scriptures actually say about this right? And because the world says this, they put a doubt on us where we actually start to doubt. Is, and we go back to the very first question at the creation of time. Did God actually say that? Is that true? You know, when the serpent slithered in, did, did God really say that? And we have a situation right now where, where the authenticity um, uh, and the questioning of God and, and the scriptures and where we're at is now on the table for debate. And you have to decide where you're going to decide which side of that you're going to fall on. Because if you choose the world side and have a half-hearted house, you will have both going on inside of you. You will probably struggle with this series. What do you believe about the creation story and what the Bible has to say about it? It's an interesting question. Now, everybody's all different ideas, and there's plenty of theological debate. Also, I want to say this before I go into this. Actually, I believe there's a hidden agenda going on. There's something bigger going on in the world today. And I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, not as some of you know, though I am prone to understand that Scripture talks about uh, a prince of the world that's going out to steal, kill, and destroy. And he has principles and things going on right now. And in our church, we've taught this from the front and we continue to teach is that, that it's, not, it's not that we go and chase the enemy. I used to chase the enemy all around the place. You, you, that, that doesn't win anything. But I, the Lord really spoke to me and said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be given to you. So I made a decision I would go after who God is and what he's about. And when the enemy came along, we dealt with them, but I wasn't going to look for him anymore. And, and the way I described it was if there's, a, if there's a bee's nest up in that corner, well, let them get on with it. I'm not going to start throwing stones because if I start throwing stones, we're all going to get stung. Uh, so for me, I'm kind of going, I know it's there. I know they've got a plan and I know it's right. But actually, I do think there's a bigger picture right now that is it possible that there's powers of darkness going on at their very best influence in governments, schools, churches, and organizations to steal, kill, and destroy that which belongs to God? That Satan is doing his very best to lead people away from the truth in life and the way that it goes. And that there's a darker agenda going on in the world today that our society are continually living in that we're not meant to live in. And we're meant to have the discernment to see what's really going on. And if you believe that it's somehow possible that God actually in all, all, all of creation, that, that from the beginning of time, he set us out to be different. All the way through, God had a group of people that were called to be different, set aside from the world. Because right back to Genesis, you see that all the way through the, the, the Old Testament. In fact, the Old Testament is a story about God's people doing the hokey-cokey. Sometimes they're in, sometimes they're out. It, it really, it was Israelites hokey-cokey. And, and even when it was down to the last few Israelites, the Levites come back to build the temple, it was this last group of people that nowhere in history, even when it was right down to the margins. God never left his people, and they always restored them back. And eventually, Jesus came and restored all people back into a royal nation. The question is, did God really say that? So, what do we believe? How do we respond to a world that tells us what we have to believe? How do we respond to a world that actually our morality is outdated, that our religious understanding is old and nonsense, and that no one actually believes that anymore? How do we survive in a world that keeps telling us what we should believe when it seems that what God is saying is entirely different to what the world is saying? Let me give you some uh, context just as I finish. I want to say this, what we believe at Journey before I go into all of this. Um, and, and, you know, we believe in free thinking, you know, just because we believe it doesn't mean to say you have to believe it. Though I do think there's some fundamentals. If you come to me and say, Jesus, we a wee alien from Mars that came down and didn't really die on the cross of the resurrection, didn't take place, then we're going to have an issue, Okay. All right? But generally speaking, theologically, hey, I, I, there's hills to die on, and I don't die on too many of them anymore. And um, I think that's a, an important thing to say. But let me say some things that we believe as a church. And um, when we started this church, one of the things that we so desperately wanted was to create a place where everybody could belong. A place where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and everything's possible. And we wanted to create a place where, where we saw the golden people and we, draw, we, we drew that out, that there had to be a redemptive mechanism take place within our church, our church and that. That, that, that this just wasn't about, about uh, ce ce this was celebrating the golden person, but also helping people who wanted to achieve more gold in their life and help them get them from A to B. And we wanted to be a place where, where, where that was done through no judgment, condemnation, even though in someone's sinfulness that actually that, 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 that they, they would receive the help to, 
to, to, grow, to grow as disciples of Jesus, that that transformation would be a season and a period of time. Why? So that they would become fully devoted, healthy disciples of Jesus. That's what, that's what Jesus called us to do as a church, that we would never be afraid of anybody's sin, lifestyle choices, and beliefs, and that the relationships and loving people was the most important thing. And no matter how someone chooses to live their life, that, that they were welcome here and they could find a place of belonging in journey. We also agreed that we wanted to help make disciples by helping people take responsibility for their own Christian life. Take responsibility for their own sin issues, their lifestyle choices, and to grow in maturity in Christ. That our job as a church was to introduce people to Jesus and help them encounter the Holy Spirit. And it was the Holy Spirit's job to convict people of their sin and move them from that place that the continued process of sanctification that Paul speaks about in the New Testament would continually work in the hearts of our people. That there would be a growing, always moving church. That it was not the church's responsibility to convict anybody of their sin, but it is the Holy Spirit's job that every believer should take responsibility for how they live and walk in their Christian life. Are you with me so far? You, you don't sound like you are. It was about creating space for the presence of the Lord to bring change, and not just the leadership's role. It's so foreign sometimes to church models. Church models are often, if you act like us, behave yourself, dress like us, talk like us, then you can join our gang. And we created these silos of everybody looking the same. And I think if you look around this room that we definitely don't have that. And if we did, I think I would leave to go to another church that had that. All that said, and this is important, it's still the church's job to speak biblical truth and biblical balance, to preach the word as to how we leaders here at Journey should model godly lifestyle, and that as leaders, we need to model what Jesus actually wants us to do in us and through us. Remember, the work that Jesus does in us is always greater than the work he does through us. Let me say that again. The work that Jesus does in you is always greater than the work he does through you. It's really important that you understand that that we're more interested in the work he does in you than what he does through you. It's important that, 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 that that's the heart of the gospel, that he loves us too much to leave us the way we are, that repentance actually means to turn around and walk the other way from the ways of the world. Let me, let me give you an example. When, when the world has influenced the church rather than the church influenced the world, um, a, a man once came to me and said, John, the Holy Spirit's told me to leave my wife. And I was like, huh. The Holy Spirit told you to leave your wife. Now, straight away, when someone says something like that to me, I know there's a problem. Why? Because the Holy Spirit will never tell you something that doesn't line up with Scripture. And the Scriptures won't tell you something that doesn't line up with the Holy Spirit. So sometimes it's hard to find the balance. But in this case, it was very clear to me that the Holy Spirit wasn't speaking to him. It was the pizza from the night before. And that actually, that didn't make any sense because the Holy Spirit will never contradict what Scripture has to say. And it's really important that we get some context before, again, setting you up for the next few weeks. Expectations of the leadership here at Journey. But there is a difference between a place of belonging and then those that are called to a higher calling and serving in leadership within the church. And I want you to see how the process of leadership important is important to how we go forward. And ask the only question about stuff. Let me, let me say this. If you were to write down 10 or 12 things that you would expect me to, to be like, that you would expect me to behave through biblical standards and principles as I stand up here and preach the gospel to you, you would hold me to account to a whole bunch of things. I, I, I mean, you, you, would, you would definitely not expect me um, to be committing adultery, right? Not that I would ever worry about you if I committed adultery, because I have a wife that I would worry about a whole lot more before I'd worry about you. You would expect me not to be stealing. You'd expect that pornography would be a no-no in my life, that, that integrity was paramount and that I wouldn't tell any lies. <laughs> Maybe you would expect me to raise my kids really well and that, tr that I would treat my wife with respect, that I would practice what I preach in front of you, but, and that, that my inner life would certainly be pure, that, that I wouldn't be checking things out um, that, that would be taking me away from any of that, that I wouldn't be getting drunk or taking drugs. That, that, that would be a big no-no for a pastor, right? That gambling would be wrong, not paying my taxes would be wrong, causing someone harm, insulting them, or giving them a hard time would be wrong. I, I'm sure you would say in general, yes, you wouldn't want a minister or a pastor that would do that. 
And generally, um, a lot of the time, I would expect the same thing from all of our elders and probably the members of our staff. And that there's a standard set in Scripture for our elders and our staff and our senior leaders and leadership of our church that we're called to a higher calling than most people. Why? Because there's a character and integrity issue that we can't get away from in Scripture that God holds a high value for. But can I say this? By the same measure that you hold me to, I actually call the same measure out in you. Does that make sense? And that God has called us to a higher calling as Christians. And the standard within us, no matter how much we struggle, and hear me, it's all a struggle, but there is a standard that if I haven't got resolved in my life, how could I stand up here and help you resolve it in yours? And, and, and there's, there's something in, in, I mean, listen, Paul, the apostle, was absolutely brutal when it came to the church's sin. Like, he, he did not mix his words. I, 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 you know, people say to me, well, are we not to judge anybody? Well, actually, that's not what the Bible says. Paul clearly says that we're not to judge outside, but that actually, as leaders, we're meant to judge the church. And this is what he said. I wrote to you before. I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin, who are greedy and cheat and worship idols, um, and who have not left the world and avoided these people. I meant that you're not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer, yet indulges with all of these things. Don't even eat with such people. This is what he says. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church you're sinning. God will judge those outside. As the Scripture says, you must be removed an evil person from among you. I mean, Paul was brutal. Can I ask a question? Imagine that I, you find out that I was abusing my kids or that I, 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 wasn't, I was having an affair with my wife. Imagine you were to find out that, 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 that I was doing things wrong and somehow, some way in my internal life that didn't match what I was doing. You have 100% right to judge me. Why? Because I give myself permission to be judged every time I stand up here and preach the word of gospel. That's what the Bible says. And how many of the young people I've led the Lord over the years would be so disappointed. I speak to senior pastors that have failed morally. You only need to go into the news. It seems like a mega church pastor across the world every week is collapsing and falling into some sort of thing. Why? Because this is actually a really difficult place to maintain. And yet, it's really important that you understand what we believe at Journey. Everybody who comes to this church, you're more than welcome to belong here. I don't care how you live, what lifestyle you have, how much sin you do. I genuinely mean that from the bottom of my heart. You can come here and there's a place for you to belong. In fact, other churches don't get that. They don't understand that. But yet, the moment that you make a decision to come into leadership and you cross this line here, you are set apart. You're called to higher calling. Should that be serving coffee, serving in the kids' work, or preaching the gospel from the front? There's a higher calling in your life. And it's important that you understand the difference between those two things. You, you can belong out here, but if you choose to come in to serve the Lord, then we will hold you to a higher sta standard in the same way that you will hold a higher standard for me. Now, it's important that I set all of that in place before I, I get into where I'm going to go over the next few weeks. So this is going to be a continued kind of rambling from John Ash over the next four or five weeks, okay? Um, but actually, I, 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 over the next week, I, I really want to address some, some stuff that I think is important that we address. I want to talk about, about sexual stuff that the church is afraid to talk about. I, I might talk about masturbation. I might talk about things that, that most church leaders are terrified to preach about but actually we're, we're going to nail that, so just be warned, okay? I'm expecting church to be really full next week, okay? <laughs> you know? Taking a leaf out of Game of Thrones, you won't be able to come to church to talk about sex. <laughs> um, the, the following week, the, the following week, I, I want to talk about gender and gender identity and some of the stuff that's going on in the world today. Uh, I discovered in my research that there's 72 genders currently recognized in the world today. 72. I thought there was just two, but apparently not. And it's important that as a church we understand what's coming, what's already happening in the world today in a society. And, and my job isn't here to condemn. Listen, my job's not to condemn anybody. That's not what our church's job to do. Our job is to teach the saints to be equipped so that we can preach the gospel to every nation, no matter who they are, what they, what they believe, that we have got something inside of us that actually goes, hey, do you know what? 
I, I have an answer for you that you won't have heard before. And I want to give you some language around some of that stuff. Um, I, I, someone said to me lately, you see, a couple of things as well, just about that. Um, if someone does fall in this church, and it's important that you understand our standard, if someone comes to me in any leadership capacity and says, hey, John, you know what? I'm really struggling with this. They will get the utmost help to manage whatever they're struggling with in their life. But if something is brought to our attention or we find it out, uh, then that's a different set of circumstances. Uh, and everybody who comes on the leadership, all their staff, our elders, everybody actually knows that way before they come. And it is important that you understand that when we set that standard, that that's been the standard we set from day one of this church. And that we also deal with sin in private. It's not for, for public redress. Many churches have destroyed the lives of families by making someone stand up on the stage and confess their sin in front of a church, no matter who they are. That won't ever happen here. And it, and it is important you understand the standards which we set. We really, really do that. It's not an easy journey sometimes to walk, but I tell you, that's, that's the safety mechanism that you will get in this church if that happens. So you need to know that there's a safety in what we do uh, and that the Bible says that our brother falls or falls in ministry, that you're throwing them lovingly back to God, um, that we practice. Someone said to me, John, you're, you're afraid to tackle sin in journey. Uh, someone who goes to a local church here said, oh, you're lighting sin up there, everything goes. People come to your church, take drugs. Well, sometimes that happens, yes. Uh, um, uh, you know, and, and the point is this, and, and what's the problem with that? And they're like, what do you mean? Surely they, they need to be sanctified. And Yeah, that's right. I said, but they sit in here, they're going to hear the word of God, they're going to hear a message, and they're going to hopefully get the help they need to come out of that. I said, could they do that at your church? No. Nope. So, as I said, I got accused of being uh, light on sin, and I told the person, Jesus made sin very light 2,000 years ago. And it's true. And yet, sin is something that churches like ours generally don't want to talk about. We don't want to, it's too uncomfortable. We, 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 want, to, we want to talk about the nice things, uh, but we, we only want to deal with those things. Um, one last thing before we go, uh, before I, I start this. Um, I believe in the separation of church and state. Now, everybody in this country actually believes the opposite. You only need to look at our government for the last 40 years to know that. Can I tell you, anytime Christians go into government, they royally screw it up, historically. Go and look at any history. I actually believe in the separation of church and state as a pastor and as a leader. Why? Because for too long, the church has told non-Christians their moral concept of how they should live their lives, they don't give one rip about God or morality. But we have expected them to live that way and then call them to a higher calling and then criticize them when they can't live it. Now what's happening is the secular society are now coming into government and guess what's happening? They're now telling the church how we should be living. And why should they not? Because that's what's happened to them for 40, 50 years in our country. Until we actually separate that out, in fact, Jesus said it, give back to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. We're to pray for our government, we're to do that. And if you feel called to government, God bless you, we will pray for you and we'll send you out with every wish under the sun. But actually, we're, we're, that's not the gospel message. The gospel message is much bigger than that. And it is important that, that I set these content, that concepts up before we, we move in. It's, it's, it, it, there's too much anti-church and anti-Christian mentality out there at the moment. Why? Because the church has let those folks down. We, we've told them what we're against, not what we're for. We've hung them over hell. And actually, the truth is this, we've hung them over hell for, for, for far, far too long. I, I, I finish with this story, and then I want to talk to you about offerings, okay? Um, uh, my old pastor shared a story about one time. He got invited to go and speak at a homeless shelter in Belfast. This is in the 70s. And the way it worked was it was a Christian outreach, and they would invite these people to come, and if they heard a gospel message, they got a bowl of soup and a sandwich. And uh, Paul was a young pastor starting out, and he came along and he started preaching to them. Well, he gave them hell and damnation for 35 minutes. He hung them over hell and told them what a dirty sinner they were and how terrible they were and how they were going to lost eternity. Hung them over that for 30 minutes, and eventually they heard the message. They went and got the soup, and he said, I thought I preached really well. And the leader of the group came and said, hi, Paul, do you think they don't know how they feel? Do you think that, that the message that you just gave that isn't how their lives is every single day, do you think that hanging them over hell for 35 minutes was going to bring any salvation? They already live in hell. You don't think they know it. 
he said that changed the way that he fundamentally thought about the gospel. And it is important that, that when we do this, that we understand how to do this right, which is why I'm setting all this context up for the next four or five weeks. Um, we are finished. I'm going to invite the band, the, the band back up again. Um, I, 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 Mike didn't do the offerings, and, and, and I del- deliberately said that because I want to share something with you. Um, over the course of the last sort of nine months, um, uh, whenever we don't pass an offering basket round or, 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 or people um, don't know how to give online and there's a generation that don't really know how to do that, uh, I want to let you know that our offerings over the last three months have been depleting away. We set ourselves up based on where we were to take on this building and go along. Um, and I, I want to just say this because, you know, God has always been so faithful in everything that we've done. But I, it is important that as a, as a community of believers who come together under this roof that we share the burden together. Uh, there's people who are so generous. Uh, we give away more money at Christmas than probably the last three Christmas combined. In fact, we're actually short this month because I give far too much money away at Christmas. The need was so great that we actually wanted to meet everybody who asked. We give everybody who asked our church help. We give it to them and we give them more than they asked for. And, um, and we, I don't ever want to stop doing that. But when I looked at our bank account last month, I realized, heck, I, I think I give away. I, I think I give away more money than I should have. Um, and I began to look at it, and I don't look at it too often, but I did. Um, I, I want to say this, that our offerings are definitely down over the last three months, both here and from Mandown Patrick. And um, we still have to pay our bills and do what we need to do. And I just want you just to set up the start of the year to go away and ask the Lord, hey, where are we at? I, if, you don't, if you don't, that's okay. But I, I actually believe if everybody tithed and did what the Lord said, that the church would actually flourish and change the nations. Um, and it is important that you understand that giving's from a heart and it's not out of a place of that. People have all sorts of problems about what they give to church, and I get that historically with that. But I want you to know as an eldership and as a leadership, we do our very best to balance the books uh, between giving. I think last year we give 33% of our income away. Uh, you know, most churches give 10. I think we run about 33. The pressure on that, I don't want ever to go away because I want to continue to be able to do what we do in our community and how we serve that community. But I also obviously know our, our overheads and our bill. You turn that electric heating on in here because you all like your heating, but that's electric that runs that and needs to be paid. So I, I'm saying all of that, but I, I want to give you away. We're, we're going to be putting up things a little bit easier for you, for you to give and set up regular giving. Um, those QR codes were the best thing that ever came out of COVID. You know, QR codes have made a return and we're gonna put some QR codes and you don't know how this works. All you do is take your phone out, you hold it up to the QR code, a little QR code will give you a link on there. You click the link and you can give in the church uh, whatever way you want, there's multiple things there. You can also set up regular giving if you wanna do that. Now, that's all you're gonna hear from that, but it is important as a community we let you know because I, I'm not the only one that has to carry the burden of all of that and uh, I, I wanna to continue to bless and, and, and do, the, do the ministry of what we need to do. Um, let's stand. Today might have felt a wee bit disjointed, but I promise you we'll tie it all together. So come back for round two next week. You're not going to want to miss next week. On-